this morning I have the privilege of reading part of the scripture that we're going to go through, that Pastor Greg is going to go through this morning. Uh, and so, Russ, Russ, Pastor Russ loves to challenge me, so he's going to challenge me to, to also read it in Spanish. And Wayne and I, Brother Wayne and I had something home this morning. Uh, we're not scared of coming up here, but if anybody's ever been up here, it's, it's not, uh, it's not wrecking. But even as I do a lot of public speaking, but this is when we come into the presence of the Lord, we want to give him our best. Amen? And so it, it, it's, uh, it's like I'm shooting free throws in front of my father. I'm like, I hope I make my free throws, but we can. We can stand this morning as we read the Lord's Word. We're going to be going into Luke 8 this morning. I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. Through nine. I'll read it in English first. The international version. It says, verse 4. While a loud, large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told his parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell along thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil. They came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than that was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him, What is this parable meant? What does this parable mean? He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, those hearing they may not understand. Lucas, Lucas 8, versículo 4, dice, De cada pueblo salía gente para ver a Jesús, y cuando se reunió un gran multitud, él les contó esta palabra. Un sembrador salió y sembró las prosperidad de la semilla. Una parte cayó junto al camino, fue frustrado, y los pájaros se la comieron. Otra parte cayó sobre las piedras, y cuando brotó las plantas se secaron por falta de humedad. Otras para, para parte cayó entre espinos que, al cre crecer juntos, la semilla la ahogó. Pero otra parte cayó en buen terreno, esa que brotó y produjo una cosecha de ciento uno por uno. Dicho este exclamó, el que tenga oídos para oír, que oiga. Sus discípulos le preguntaron cuál era el significado de esta palabra. A ustedes se les ha concedido que el corazón, la, el, el con, con, con sazón, las, los secretos del reino de Dios. Les contestó, pero a los demás se les habla por medio de la palabra o palabras para que al que mire no vea, al que oiga no entienda. This morning, Pastor Greg is going to continue to go through this, this chapter in Luke 10. As I was saying this, I just want to, want to pray that we are, our hearts be prepared for what the message is preached this morning. It's, it's going to be good. So if we can, let's bow our heads. Father, I, I thank you for 
for, for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, I ask that uh, you prepare our hearts this morning for what Pastor Greg has, Lord, in our hearts, Lord, that you continue to mold us, transform us, um, that we won't ever be the same this morning. We thank you for everything that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, and you will be seated, or can be seated. And I'm going to uh, dismiss our children uh, from two years old to fifth grade. Go ahead and catch your class. They're going to be an awesome, uh, awesome time there. As they are actually wrapping up their three-year study of the Bible. Uh, today is their last day. Uh, they're in Revelation. Uh, Revelation. Um, and it's going to be awesome. And actually, next week we'll start uh, the brand new in Genesis 1-1, right from the very beginning. And they'll kind of do another so it's been really cool that uh, for many of our kids, if they've been here for about three years, uh, have gone through the entire Bible uh, at this time. Uh, and so and they're going to be going through it again. So if the kids started in preschool and will be here for the next six years, guess what? They'll go through the Bible twice already. Um, that, I think that's just such a great foundation to start their life on, some great truths. And obviously, they've never missed a single uh, Sunday, and so they've had it all. Um, Today, um, maybe if I had three or four hours. 
hours, and I guarantee Dr. Wife, no one wants to hear me for three or four hours. Uh, and so uh, just to sum up some of the things is I'm going to be focusing on the themes of what uh, Luke's focusing on and some, as he tries to answer some of the questions about uh, who is this man, Jesus? Who, who is this guy that kind of shows up on the scene and just changes so much? And then you notice as you read through uh, Luke that this question kind of keeps popping up. Jesus shows up, he says something, he does something, and everyone, this is the first question they kind of ask is, who is this man that can do this? And sometimes they'll even give him titles, and they try to put him in a box. And so we can see in Luke 5, 21, the Pharisees and the teachers ask that question, who is this man as he forgives the paralyzed man? Uh, we see that the people on Luke 7, uh, 16, call Jesus a great prophet uh, that has come amongst his people. And, and, and then uh, Simon, the Pharisee Simon, uh, a couple verses later, then calls that title into question. And he says, if he was a great prophet, then he would know who's touching his feet at my table. And there's no way that he would be okay with that. But then Jesus turns around in verse uh, 49 and says, uh, Daughter, your, your sins are forgiven. And the crowd who is sitting at the table at uh, Simon's table then again calls into question who is this man that can forgive sins? Jesus' family shows up in chapter 8, uh, verses 19 to 21, and they are trying to get to Jesus. And Luke kind of leaves this out, maybe he was being nice, uh, but uh, Mark is a little more worse with it. The reason they showed up was because of the fact that they thought Jesus was out of his mind. They thought Jesus was crazy. Mark uh, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 give us that. That they thought Jesus was crazy. They're like, man, we got to go get him and bring him home and give him a coffee to. And instead, Jesus just doesn't even acknowledge that. He just focuses and he says, these people who do God's will are my, my mom and my brothers. And again, the disciples ask this question, who is this man? In Luke 8, verse 25, when uh, a storm is happening, and he rebukes the storm, and the storm listens. And how crazy that all is. And so this question keeps popping up. Luke and Jesus both are seeking to answer this for us. Who is this man, Jesus? And I think that's just a common question for us to try to answer, right? I mean, each one of us have at some point had to ask that question ourselves. Who is this man, Jesus? Is he truly the Messiah, the one that everyone says he is, or, or is he just some guy who died 2,000 years ago in an unjust trial, and, and yeah, that thing happened. It happens today, too. And, and, and so why do we make such a big deal about it? Or is he really that Messiah who died for our sins, who, who, who created a new way for us to access God? In fact, he created a new kingdom for us to be a part of that we are no longer just citizens of, but we are actually called family. And we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And is that the God that we are talking about? Is that the Jesus that we are talking about, whose power is no longer in human hands, but actually is we are powered only by God himself? We are not destined for a certain land, and that's why we're proud. We're proud because we are destined for a holy land beyond this life. And that's what makes us come together. Now, it's understandable that many of us would uh, have
have a hard time uh, trying to answer this unless you've had an experience. And, and the reality is, even uh, a lot of people back then with Jesus were having a hard uh, time calling Jesus the Messiah. And the reason for this is simply because uh, Jesus was not what they expected when it came to the Messiah. In fact, uh, for a while there, uh, the ongoing thought was that the Messiah was going to be more of a war king. That he was going to take over everything, and he was going to conquer Israelites' enemies, and that would have been the, the Roman Empire, who was just conquering everything. And so everyone was waiting and expecting that this Messiah was going to conquer Rome. And, and the reason they thought this was because uh, all throughout all the Old uh, Testament, it talks about the fact that this Messiah would be a greater king than King David. And King David was a war king. He conquered so many people, conquered so much land, he made the Israelites a powerhouse under his rule. And so it was natural for them to assume that, that this Messiah would come and conquer everyone in their path and establish Israel as the true holy land, as the true place where God dwells. But Jesus does something different. He comes in a much different way, right? He didn't come for all the glory he already had. And so instead we see a, a Messiah who comes to serve people, to care for his people, to connect with people. What's crazy about this is even John the Baptist has some questions around this. See, John the Baptist, he's, that's why he ends up sending his disciples out in chapter 7, uh, verses 18 through 35, and John the Baptist sends his disciples and to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? Because he will have heard all these rumors, all these things that Jesus is healing and, and saying things, and all this would have been getting back to him, and yet he's starting to ask some questions of like, yeah, and so if he's the Messiah, then he should be conquering Rome, and it's one thing to wonder that when you are in the crowd with Jesus, and you get to go home and all that, but John is in prison. John is in jail for telling King Herod that he shouldn't have stole his sister-in-law from his brother. That was his crime, as he challenged his authority and said, what you did was a sin. And so he's, he's under an unjust ruler, and so John is sitting there and saying, if you're the Messiah, why am I still in jail? Why am I still in this situation? And maybe the, the, the thought of the messianic scripture, which just simply in the fancy word to say the, the prophecy of the Messiah uh, that was going to be like in Isaiah 61, maybe that was going through his head that says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted and proclaim freedom for the captive and the release of the darkness for the prisoners. I mean, Jesus himself in Luke 4 referenced this in his first time of coming out uh, to announce who he truly was. And he says, I am fulfilling all this. But yet, John the Baptist is still in prison. What's interesting is Jesus doesn't just hear the disciples or John's uh, disciples' questions. Uh, he, he doesn't just say, yeah, I'm the guy, so tell him I'm the guy, I'll do what I, what I came to do. In fact, he points them to his fruit. He points them to his work. In 
and says, look at what's happening here. And it says in chapter 7, 22 and 23, it says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on my account. He's not just saying, yeah, I'm the guy. He says, look around. Look what's happening and tell me what else it could be. I think this is such a healthy thing for us to be able to say as well. You know, and sometimes in life, you're going to have that person who hears you're a Christian and they're going to challenge you on something. They're going to say, why do you really believe that? Are you, do you really believe all the stuff that this book has to say? Like, do you honestly believe that? Come on. I, I would suggest instead, because you could have all the arguments, there are great arguments out there, and they're, they, they'll win, uh, but it takes a long time to, to learn all the arguments, and there's always another one popping up. So here's my suggestion, and this is what I've started to do, is instead of arguing with them, I just simply held up other evidence. I say, okay, well, I got some questions if it's not Jesus. Because, you, you see, I was trying to do my life my way for a while, and only destruction and hurt and, and, and chaos came out of my life. Only damage happened. Nothing good came out of my life when I was trying to do it my way and run it my way. And, and you know what? When I came to Jesus, all of a sudden, new things started to happen in my life. When I released my, myself over to him, and all of a sudden, everything started to change. And it wasn't like, boom, I was great all of a sudden. No, he's been working in my life slowly and changing me to be a new creation. And you know what? When I go to church, I'm surrounded by other people who have experienced this and are experiencing that. And you know what? I have, I have some questions because, you know what? I'm surrounded by people who, uh, you know what? There are some people who were healed that had sicknesses. There are marriages that were put together because they proclaimed Jesus over it that should have gotten a divorce. I've seen fatherless men come to become some of the greatest dads I've ever seen. I've seen women who have known nothing but hurt and hardship in their life get to know who Jesus is and establish a new love. I've seen addictions broken. So, before I answer any of your questions, I need you to answer some of mine. I just don't have enough faith to believe this was all by accident. So please tell me, how do you think about all this? Jesus still can point to his fruit today. We are his fruit. That we can say, you gotta, you gotta tell me how this all just happens. Because I don't have enough faith to think that this is by accident. Jesus is on the throne. Which leads us right into our main scripture that Mario shared with us, uh, Luke 8, 4 through 15. And it has to do with these four grounds, these four soils that the farmer kind of casts his seed out on. And they are the, the road uh, slash path, the rocky ground, the thorns, and the good soil. And I really like how N.T. Wright kind of just uh, lays it out there. He makes it real simple for us to understand. He says, look, Luke has already told us enough about Jesus' public career us to be able to see the sort of people he's talking about. So when Jesus talks about the road and the path, he just, what he says, he says, for those on the path are the ones who hear, uh, hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart 
so that they may not grieve or be saved. We see here that we can reference back to Luke 4, when Jesus is at his hometown, and he, he proclaims that he is the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for, and what do they do right away? They reject him. And then they try to kill Jesus on the spot. Now for us today, this could simply be someone who hears the, the word about God, but doesn't allow them to allow it to actually affect their life. They maybe come to church once in a while, but that's for someone else. That's not really them. And all the information, all the seeds that have been poured into their life kind of just go away. Because they never actually let any of it sink into their heart. You trust yourself more than you trust God. Or this book that maybe you think is just some random old book. When it talks about the seed that was thrown on the rocky ground, uh, this is what Jesus has to say in verse 13. It says, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. We can identify the Pharisees in the same uh, way, especially in Luke 7, 36-50, uh, with Simon, who obviously wanted to hear Jesus. He, I mean, he invited Jesus over to his house to hear him, but then Jesus says some pretty shocking and does some pretty shocking things, and all of a sudden his own prejudice kind of takes over, and he says, I don't know if I can get down to that. Uh, that's a little too extreme for me. And so he ends up distancing himself from Jesus, who would be the one who actually helps him grow in his faith. Now what this could look like for us is simply uh, being a person who wants to know more about God, but then when God challenges you in your life, you withdraw. Because the reality is each one of us has some things in our life, has some rocks in our life that we not we need Jesus to come and pull out. Maybe it's a hurt that you've had in life, maybe it's just some hatred that you have for somebody, maybe it's just some uh, deep down uh, just prejudice that you have somewhere in your life and you don't really know where it comes from. Do you need to hand that over to God and say, forgive me this, because this isn't what you want for me. Whatever it is, we need to allow God to work in our hearts, in our heart soil, to be able to pull those things out to help us be good soil. Now when it comes to the, the thorns, uh, uh, the ground that's thorns, full of thorns, this is what Jesus has to say. He says, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they grow, or as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not return. Here we see in Luke 7, again, 31 and 35, the people of the generation, their generation and our generation as well, who uh, really didn't want a prophet like uh, John the Baptist or Jesus. And no matter what they did in life, they kind of rejected him and called him Satan either way. He says, you know, they came, uh, John came not drinking anything and, and, and just praying and, and came like that. And, and Jesus came eating and drinking, and they both called him and said, no, look, you were from Satan. And he's like, which, which, how? How would you say that? What, what, what basis do you have to call ourselves Satan? And because they wanted Jesus, they wanted God's blessing on their life without being like Jesus or God in any way. And for us, this can be the very same thing. When we trust, uh, we want to trust Jesus with a certain part of our life, but not all of it. Maybe you, you're okay with some of the parts of the Bible because they align with what you already believe and what you think, but some of those other things that Jesus calls you to do, oh, I don't know if I'm down to that. 
And yet, so we allow those worries and those fears to choke out what Jesus is trying to do in our lives. Now, when it comes to the good soil, verse 15, this is what Jesus says. He says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with noble and good hearts who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, uh, produce a crop. Man, we can see so much that Luke has shared with us where this has happened. Uh, the, the Gentile centurion who had so much faith that he told Jesus, hey, you don't even have to come to my house. Just command the sickness to come out of my servant, and it'll happen. And Jesus was actually amazed at his faith. Uh, we see uh, Levi, the tax collector, who uh, left his very lucrative but shady business to follow Jesus, to, to live a life of poverty, in fact. Uh, to, we see the unnamed woman at the end of chapter 7 of Luke who came to the Simon's house and, and just uh, in repentance poured out her perfume and wiped Jesus' feet with her tears in her hair. We see the disciples who have given up everything to follow Jesus. We see the women in the, at the beginning of chapter 8 who are also, also following Jesus and actually giving from their own finances to, to finance Jesus and the disciples. They're the ones that are cutting cash flows. We see all these examples of the good soil, people who are following Christ. Now here's the thing. Sometimes we can hear this parable of the, the soil, and we can kind of start to think that it's a once-and-done type of thing. We kind of start to think, oh, yeah, you either are good soil or you're one of these other ones. <coughs> but I think so much more that this is a daily I just think this is something that we should be asking ourselves every morning or at some point every day, asking ourselves, what, what is my heart soil like today? Well, because the reality is, Sunday morning, majority of us, I mean, you woke up early on a foggy day, Super Bowl Sunday, and came to church. Like, I mean, come on, you can pat yourself on the back a little bit, right? Like, there's a lot of great things that happen today. And so, I mean, you can say, oh, today I feel like good soil. Great, like I'm good. But where are you at the rest of the week? Where are you at Monday, or Tuesday, or Wednesday? When the when the stress of the week kind of hits you, when the fears of life kind of start to take over, and maybe they choke out the, the thorns of life start to choke out the, the joy that God has given you. Maybe when uh, God calls you to love someone that you don't want to love, and the rocks of hatred and hurt start to take place, and, and you're like, no, God, not that co-worker, not that person, not that family member. I don't want to love them. Just send them away, and then we can be good. But yet God continues to push us. The question is, each day, where are you at? What's your heart soil? Because the, the good thing is, is no matter where you're at on that place, Jesus is always ready to till the soil. Jesus is always ready to come to you and work on your heart and say, no, we can do this. I can just let me in. Let me work your those soil here. Let me work on your heart. Let me start to change your life. It's going to be rock by rock, right? It's going to be a slow process, but that's fine. Because he's in it for the long game. He doesn't need you to be the perfect field right away. He just wants you to look better today than you did yesterday. Be more like him today than you did or yesterday. And that's the goal. So it starts, as it always is, with Jesus. 
And Jesus gives us some practical steps on how we can retain being at this soil. We can continue to be that good soil. It says at the end of verse uh, 15, uh, it starts off with uh, they hear, people who hear the word. It starts simply by getting into your Bible. Now, uh, I know for some people that can look really scary. Like, this is a big book, and when you hear there's actually multiple books in this one book, you can be like, I pray I've never read anything that big. There's no way I'm going to get into that. Well, luckily for you, we live in 2020, and you don't have to read. You can listen. Uh, and you can pull out a Bible app, and it'll read to you. And I say that to you because that is how I, a lot of times, will actually hear the Bible. I'll just put it on, and I'll do it on my way to work, or I'll just do it when I'm doing something else, and I'll just listen. And it's not like there is a perfect way to study the Bible. There's not like the way that Jesus would have done it. But to just get into this. And there's different translations. Maybe you're reading the translation, you're like, I read this, and I don't get any of it. You know, there's other translations that you can get into. And you can talk to the elders, or myself, or Pastor Gus about that, and we can help you find what uh, will best help you. The reality is, if you want to start hearing God and, and just connecting with Him, You've got to get into his word. It's as simple as that. It's as basic as that. Get into this however you can. Make it your goal to just spend five minutes reading something. And the, the reality is, is it, it's not on you to teach you this. I think we get this confused sometimes. We think that, oh, you have to have a PhD to be able to read this and from the guy who has the PhD to the first grader, my son, the first grader who's reading through the Bible as well, whatever age rate you're at, it is not on you to learn. We rely on Jesus and the Holy Spirit to teach us from his word. So stop trusting in yourself. Stop relying on yourself to learn from this. Trust Jesus to teach you. Look at it and say, Jesus, if, if, if I'm going to learn anything, I need you. I mean, to be honest with you, you guys, you guys are listening to someone who has dyslexia up here. That's me. I have dyslexia. I, for the majority of my educational life, I, I read at an elementary school level for majority of my life. And yet, he's taught me so much through this. But I can tell you, day one, when I popped this open, nothing, right? I was like, I have no idea what's happening. I still have no idea what's happening. But okay, you, you told me to do this, so I'm going to do it. And slowly but surely, he started to unveil himself through the scripture and through listening. And, and you know what? God is good. Because he's going to be the one who teaches you all those things. It's not about your educational level. It's about allowing God to work in your heart through his word. So it starts with hearing, and then the next thing uh, that Jesus tells us to do is to retain it, which that's the, the, the word there actually is kanyeko, uh, I, I believe. I mean, only two of you know if I said that right, so that's fine. Um, but the word is right there, and the whole idea behind this that he tells us is the fact that this is the meaning behind this word is to hold, to bind, to arrest, to take possession of, to detain, or to cling to. I love that, to cling to it. Because I think that so many of us, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we kind of hold it open-handed. We kind of hold it out there like, yeah, there's some good things out there, and I, I want it, I trust it, I believe in it, 
good, but sometimes it's all intellectual for us. It's all in our minds, and we kind of base it on that. But when he tells us to do, it's not to just hold it out here, like, oh, well, look at this. But he says, when it comes to who God is and his promises, actually just cling on to it. To hold on to it and not let it go. To, to make it yours, to establish those promises so that when life hits you, because it will, you can say, God, I, you said, you says, you say this in your word. You say this, that you will do this. And so I'm trusting in you. And I'm holding on to you. I think of my son Calvin. He, he's, he's the littlest one. Uh, and he's, he's so small, but yet so big. Right? He, he, everything he does is big. Right? He loves big. He gets angry big. Uh, he, 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 when it comes to laughter, he's the loudest one in our house. Uh, when it comes to uh, being sad, I mean, just full-on meltdown, right? Like, it's all big with him. But yet, when it comes to being scared or being nervous, he, he runs to his mom and to me, and he just wraps his whole self around us. He fully clings on, almost chokes you out, because he's just full on, whole bear hugging us, and he just holds on so tight because he knows in his heart that we have the best in store for him. That we love him and we will protect him, and we, we have only good in store for him. So even when he's scared, he runs and he clings on to us. And man, how different would our lives look if we did that? That when it came to those thorns that hit us, when it comes to the hardship, when it just comes to everyday life, if you will, we would run to God and we'd say, I trust you, I love you, and I want what you want for me, and I hold on to your promises, God, because it is the best thing for me. And so I will cling to your word. And what, what Jesus continues to say is by hearing, by clinging on to it, You'll find perseverance through the storms. I'm actually going to quote Irma, who was uh, sharing in her uh, small group, uh, and I stole this from you. You didn't know. I didn't ask permission, so I'm hoping for that. Um, I was talking to my wife, and she shared a little bit about Irma shared in the small group. Not that I have spies, but I did. Um, talking about Luke 8, 22 to 25, when the disciples uh, came, uh, or were on the boat, the storm hits, and they freak out, and they go wake up Jesus, and they all panic, and they say, Jesus, wake up, the storm's going to kill us. And Jesus wakes up, and then he rebukes the storm, and everything is calm, and that's when they wonder, who is this man that even the storms, the even nature itself listens to them? And I just love what Irma kind of had pointed out. She said, you know, I think so many times in life, uh, when it comes to being a Christian, we assume that the storms won't come before they hit us. We assume that life won't hit us at any point. But what we notice here is the fact that the storms came even though Jesus did have the authority to rebuke the storms. So our trust is not necessarily that we will never get hit by life's storms or hardships or hurts. The fact, the, the hope and the joy and the faith that we really have is that we are with the one who can say, be calm, and it'll end. We are with the one who can heal the sick. We are, we are here with the one who has authority over all creation. I mean, we see that at the end of Luke 8. He, he calms the storm. He has power over all creation. He has power. 
power over all spiritual stuff that is happening, demons, anything like that. He has power over sickness and death itself. We don't have, we're not calm because the storms won't come. We're calm because we're with one that the storm has to obey. That's what gives us joy. That's what gives us peace. That's what makes us As, as we follow God, he's going to continue to work in our lives to produce a good harvest, to produce a life for you that's going to be far greater than anything you will ever dreamt for yourself. Any expectation or anything that you thought, I want my life to go this way, he's going to far exceed anything that you had planned. I kind of want to end on this, this challenge for you this week. I, I want to challenge you, either maybe... Uh, Set an alarm in your phone or just in your head if you're someone who needs to do that. I can't read alarms to yell at me. Um, but take a time each day this week, maybe 10 minutes, and ask yourself, what is my heart soil like today? Where am I at in the region of this time? Is it today my really good soil or are there some rocks that I need you to, to remove? Are there some thorns that I have that I need you to remove from my heart? Maybe I'm just so hardened right now because yesterday or today or something has happened that I'm just like the road. I mean, the, the seat's hitting me and bounce off. I'm just not getting anything when I even, I don't even want to open this. Wherever you're at with God, just take 10 minutes and ask him, say, God, I need you to do something in the heart of me. And, and, then, and then maybe write down in your notes, your Bible app, or just in the page in your Bible somewhere, Right now, what, what are you hearing from God? What's going on right now? What promises are you clinging on to in your life? And how is that helping you through the storms that you're facing? Write it down, and you'll start to notice that the storms are going to change, and God is going to continue to get through through all of this, if that's what you want. Let me pray for you guys. God, I thank you so much that there is not a moment that you are not a part of. There is not a storm that comes that you are not prepared to calm. There is not a situation that we are in that is too much for you. And so, God, I pray as we go out today and celebrate just a fun day of hanging out with family and friends and watch people hit each other on the football field, that we can also remember that you have done so much work to reach out to us. God, I pray that you would help us to, to truly ask ourselves, where are we at today? And God, if there's things that you need to do in our hearts, that we'd be willing to trust you and hold on to you as our good father, as the good farmer who is cleaning out his field. And thank you that you have so much more in store for our lives than we could ever dream. So much better things in our lives than we could ever hope for. And God, we pray for those good things that you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen.